Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden of the University of Johannesburg Center for African Foreign Policy and Diplomacy. Good afternoon, Kobus. Good afternoon. Well, we're going to focus today on diplomacy, and particularly a visit by Kenyan President uh, Uhuru Kenyatta, who's now arrived in Beijing for what we think is a three to four day summit. We haven't been able to actually find the length of his trip uh, that's there, but from uh, from what our the best read that we're getting, he's going to be in Beijing for uh, the remainder of the week, and he's accompanied by sixty the de- delegation of sixty executives who are there to try and drum up business between the, uh, China and Kenya, but. Uh, Kobus, what's interesting about this trip is the fact that he did not go to one of the traditional legacy powers, that is, the United States or the United Kingdom, which for the most part, for most new Kenyan presidents, which there haven't been that many, uh, nonetheless, you would have thought that that would have been the place to go simply because the United States remains one of uh, the biggest aid providers to Kenya and also one of the biggest trade partners. But he chose China and Russia. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, I think one of the big issues is the International Criminal Court, um, you know, arraignment against him and, and the deputy president, um, you know, kind of which where they're accused of human rights abuses. And um, that was apparently one of the reasons why President Obama didn't visit Kenya um, when he, you know, kind of when, when, when he went to Africa this, this time, um, because obviously... I mean, you know, kind of for, for someone who's half Kenyan to, to visit Kenya would have been a massive photo op. Unfortunately, that photo op would then have him shaking hands with someone who's, who's being arraigned at the International Criminal Court. So, um, that's, you know, that, that it, it just ended up not happening. Um, and I think that caused a lot of bad blood, uh, you know, kind of within Kenya. So a lot of people, um, is seeing this kind of the first trip going to Russia and China as, as sending a message to the traditional Western powers. I think it also, you know, kind of, it, it just is also a realistic um, reflection of the fact that a lot of, of Kenyan investment is now coming from China. Okay, before we get to the Chinese side, let's kind of back up a little bit and talk about this question of the ICC, the International Criminal Court. Uh, this, these are allegations that go back to the 2007 elections. And again, he has not been tried by the court. So I think it's very important that we, you know, particularly you and I, Copus, we kind of take a middle kind of view on this in the sense that it, it's a very disputed charge, um, you know, and there's passions yes. on both sides. So uh, we're not here to kind of give judgment either way. But uh, it is something out there that the International Criminal Court wants to bring him to The Hague, and they want to talk to him about the uh, what they called mob violence and, uh, and, and I think basically for fomenting riots and mass killings around the 2007 elections. Uh, you know, at the time, Assistant Secretary of State Johnny Carson of the United States, he said that, and this is a, this is kind of interesting in the context of today. Uh, he said that you know that if Kenyans elect uh, Kenyatta, uh, that you know he'll have to work with the international community, implying that the the West is the international community. Seems like today they kind of, you know, Kenyatta lifted the middle finger and, you know, and off he goes to Russia, you know, and, uh, and China, you know, a la Edward Snowden and, uh, and is just, you know, is, is making his way and saying, you know what? The West's influence is, is really in sharp decline. And that's what I took out of this is that the fact is that the United States today does not carry the weight that it did maybe a generation ago. And this would have been unthinkable 25 years ago to, to snub the West and 
and to snub London and Washington like this and to go to Beijing. So it was a very interesting geopolitical decision on his part. You know, do you really think that it was the ICC that weighed more on this decision, or do you think it was pure uh, geopolitics and, and their economic agenda? Which what drove this decision, in your opinion? Well, I think it's probably, you know, you know, to quote the Simpsons, little from column A, little from column B. Um, the, you know, obviously, you know, kind of there, there's a whole lot of real, real economic, hard economic reasons to go to China first. You know, kind of um, there's a it's, it's a growing um, partnership. It's, you know, they're, they're getting a lot of financing. You know, there's a lot of reasons to go there. Uh, um, you know, kind of, I think the fact that the, that the U.S. took such a kind of a firm stance on the ICC issue, um, and also obviously, you know, kind of before the election, kind of, the, you know, kind of in, in the form of a warning, you know, kind of to Kenya to, you know, kind of to not elect this person, that obviously kind of, uh, in a way drove the, the, the U.S. into a corner, you know, kind of where it's difficult for them to, uh, you know, kind of to, to make friends with with um, Kenyatta and easy for Kenyatta to to, to blow them off. Um, I think it also shows not only the you know the decline of of the U.S. in Africa, but also the decline of a kind of a um, a rights based uh, you know Western centered way of thinking in the world. You know, kind of when Carson said that you know that that Kenyatta would need to deal with the international community. Um, you know, kind of the, his image of the international community is one where where being arraigned at the international criminal court is is a sh- is a shameful thing. And now that it seems that seems to have shifted as well in the you know kind of in, in this in the few years, and suddenly we're seeing a new kind of vision of the international community with with different different priorities, maybe. Yeah, I mean, certainly the Sudanese have defied the international court, and it hasn't really slowed them down. It certainly hasn't slowed you know China's relationship with Sudan. Uh, so Kenya defying the court is almost in some ways a badge I don't know if it's a badge of honor but it's just eh, whatever you know we've got things to do here we're going to move on and we're not really going to pay that much attention to what's going on there uh, let's let's focus on some of the hard economic realities that you you kind of alluded to uh, China's investment now totals half a billion dollars uh, in, in Kenya. That makes it the number one source of foreign direct investment. That's a very important statistic right there. Bilateral trade is now at $2.84 billion. That was last year's figure. Uh, that makes them the second largest trading partner with Kenya. Uh, so the, the, the Chinese relationship is really blossoming. One of the statistics that I found most interesting is that trade has grown 20 times in the past 10, 10 to 15 years. So it's really been just a surge of trade. And, and the other thing that uh, in, in a recent editorial that uh, Liu Guangyuan, in a column that he wrote, he's the ambassador from Beijing in Nairobi. And uh, he talked about making China and Kenya a strategic partnership. Now, that's a higher level of partnership than a normal diplomatic relation. Why do you think the Chinese see something special in Kenya that they don't see in other uh, other countries in Africa that they would want to consider a strategic diplomatic partnership? Um, you know, I think it probably points to the the growing importance of the integrated East African economy, um, you know, East East African region in in China in China Africa relations. You know, obviously, traditionally in the past, um, China concentrated a lot on South Africa, um, and there was this this kind of narrative of South Africa as a gateway to Africa. Um, recently, you've seen. 
kind of Indian Ocean uh, communities, in the Indian Ocean Rim is obviously very sexy at the moment. And, um, you know, at the same time, East Africa is integrating its economy. So they, they're busy planning a massive railway project that would link Kenya, Uganda, and Rwanda, for example. Um, and, you know, kind of you're seeing more and more that um, – that there are pipelines running from one country through other countries to harbors and so on. So you get the feeling that this is a region where um, where people are pulling it, putting in, you know, kind of getting their kind of ducks in a row in order to to operate as a region, which in Southern Africa is not happening so much uh, for a bunch of different reasons, among others, the dominance of Zimbabwe um, within SADC, uh, you know, which makes it hard for, you know, kind of for, for that kind of integration to happen. Um, so so, you know, kind of it's, yeah, I, I think I think all of these is, is making it more of a proposition for China, um, you know, to, to um, you know, we, we, in, in addition to the fact that, that, you know, piracy is down in Somalia um, and for, you know, um, the other kinds of uh, Chinese investment is up in Ethiopia and so on. So, East, you know, East Africa is looking very promising, I think. Well, what's very interesting, you talked about the network of pipelines and, and that alludes to the fact that East Africa now is really one of the next kind of, you know, you know, green pastures for oil and for gas discoveries that have happened. So there is a, a natural resource extraction agenda that the Chinese have, particularly in Tanzania, but also in Kenya as well. But let's not forget also the issue of South Sudan. Now, China has been in the middle of the, of the dispute between the Sudanese and the South Sudanese. One of the objectives that the South Sudanese have is to no longer rely on the pipelines going north through Sudan. They want to throw a pipeline south through Kenya. And I wonder if, you know, as China looks at the big chessboard of Eastern Africa, North and Eastern Africa, if in the long term it does see things like, again, you've talked about these network of pipelines, uh, certainly coming from Mombasa uh, in the south, but also in the north from, uh, from South Sudan as well, and that in some ways the infrastructure in Kenya is stronger than it is in other parts uh, of, of, the, of the continent. So that presents some advantages. But also one other very important part, it is the UN Center for, for that region. The United Nations Environmental Program is based there. Most of the international NGOs are based there. There's an administrative and bureaucratic center that's there that isn't, say, in other parts uh, in Dar es Salaam or some other parts of the region as well. And that might attract them. I mean, that was that had to have been one of the reasons why they picked uh, Nairobi as the place for them to put uh, the headquarters of CCTV, uh, their, their television service there. So I think all of those factors together might, might kind of combine why this is a, an important strategic relationship. Do you think one weighs more than the other? Is it resources? Is it the fact that Nairobi has traditionally been uh, an administrative center? Do you think there is some geopolitical military side that might be in the long-term interest of the Chinese? What, what's the key factors in your opinion? I think it's all of those. You know, kind of, I think the, the fact, the very fact that Nairobi offers, you know, a way to keep tabs on all of these and to, to, to develop all of them at the same time, that's exactly what makes Kenya so, so valuable. And the fact that it is also relatively close to, um, to the African Union headquarters in Addis Ababa, um, you know, all of these, it, it just makes every, doing everything much easier, I think. And that has recently been a, a problem in the, in the narrative of South Africa as a gateway to Africa because people are just pointing 
pointing out, look, you know, kind of Johannesburg is just too far away. Um, and you're not even mentioning Cape Town. You know, kind of Johannesburg as, as, a, as a financial center, for example, in, in China-Africa relations is just, it's not in, in there. Everything takes too long to get from Johannesburg to the rest of Africa. And, you know, in that sense, Nairobi is just perfectly positioned. Well, this, uh, you know, when, when I saw the, the fact that uh, Kenyatta is going to Beijing instead of going to the United States, and this is his first major overseas visit, there's a little bit of a dispute, and I'm not sure if you can clarify this. Did he go to, to London before, you know, as president? Because they've said that, uh, you know, Bob Wakesa in his China Daily piece said that he's, he went to the U.K. So if he went to the U.K., then this isn't his first overseas visit. Did, were you able to clarify that in any way? No, I wasn't. From okay. what I understood, like he, his, his other visits were within Africa. Um, he visited a bunch of different African countries. I don't. I, I actually don't know okay. whether you know, kind of, uh, you know, where the UK fits in there. Nonetheless, this uh, this brought up this reminded me of Mohamed Morsi, the former president of uh, of Egypt, uh, who made his first overseas visit to Beijing. And I was wondering what people, you know, inside the State Department, you know, are they scratching their heads, going? What the hell is going on here that all these African leaders uh, are deciding to to snub, you know, the United States? And the United States provides a, a billion and a half dollars to Egypt every year uh, in military aid, which is not really that much when you consider it against the Qataris' eight billion and the Saudis' twelve billion. But nonetheless, it's a decent amount of money. Uh, over the past generation, it's totaled forty billion dollars. Uh, but there was a snub, clearly from the Muslim Brotherhood. Not entirely surprising. Uh, but there were there he went off to Beijing. Now you've got Kenyatta off to Beijing, and it seems like a rite of passage now among at least two African leaders that, you know, you come into power and your first major overseas visit uh, goes off to Beijing. So this brings up the question of the topic we talked about last week, which was Egypt. Uh, Since uh, the events have unfolded in dramatic fashion in Cairo and all around the country, uh, where the military government has has just unleashed a can of whoop-ass that is so large it's just depressing on many, many fronts, Uh, hundreds have been killed, it looks like there's an effort to really just clamp down on the Muslim Brotherhood in every way, going back to uh, the, the Mubarak era and how they criminalized the Muslim Brotherhood. So... What has been the reaction out of Beijing, and are you surprised by uh, that reaction or lack of reaction, Kobus? Well, um, you know, kind of the reaction has been quite muted, as you said. Um, I, you know, there, there's generally been. Uh, been calls for for all the parties to come together and for you know to restore um, peace. Um, I think I was not really surprised by that because I think. Um, you know, both from obviously both, both Beijing um, is faces a quite quite a kind of a complicated situation, just like the U.S. does, um, and um, I think everyone is kind of crouching and waiting and seeing what's going to happen. Um, you know, more than that, apparently there's been a direct call from um, from the Minister of Foreign Affairs in China to uh, to his counterpart in um, in Cairo um, to kind of discuss the situation. But more than that, we don't really know what's going on. You know, kind of we don't really know how they're going to react. And I think they might not really know what to do. They're probably waiting to for the smoke to clear. One of the interesting things was that they, they called for um, the the acting um, Egyptian government to protect Chinese property and Chinese citizens. Um, And that's one of the issues where I'm wondering how many Chinese citizens are actually in Egypt at the moment and whether China knows how many are in Egypt. So that is going to be a a very complicated, you know, real complicating factor, I think. 
My guess is those Chinese, uh, A, we don't know because most of the, like in Ghana and like the rest of the continent, there's no way to really tabulate this because so many of the Chinese migrants who are there are probably there illegally uh, and have not registered with either the embassy or the government. So there is no way to know. My guess is right now they're just keeping their heads down and trying to stay out of the line of fire. Uh, that being said, what's interesting is the fact that people on on Twitter, for example, have been comparing the Chinese and the American reaction uh, and saying kind of like, you know, the Chinese really aren't ready for prime time as a global power because they have not stood up to, you know, to condemn the violence. Um, and I would kind of come at this in a very different way. I think the Chinese are actually playing this very smartly right now. And they face a different pressure than the United States does. The United States has set, it, set itself up as a moral power. Uh, we have set ourselves up, uh, I speak as an American here, uh, as the country with, with the house on the hill, as Ronald Reagan said. We are the, the example. We are the, the, you know, to quote the Republicans, the greatest nation that God has ever made. Um, and part of that has been standing up for democracy and standing up for the rule of law, uh, standing up against military coups. And, and I think, think that people are really frustrated by the U.S. reaction and how Obama has not condemned uh, the coup in stronger terms. He's not cut off aid. And, and I think that you know, comparing the United States and China is apples and oranges in part because the Chinese do not hold themselves up to that standard. Um, I agree with you that they're waiting for the smoke to clear. They have no vested interest right now in coming out strong to say to, to side with one side or the other. I think at the end of the day, what they want to do is they want to have an economic relationship and even a geopolitical relationship with the new power in Cairo. And so to take sides uh, really wouldn't help them right now. So, you know, already they made a pretty big investment in Mohamed Morsi that didn't pay off. So, you know, it's a very fluid situation, and I, they're best to probably hold back. So I, I kind of stand uh, – that's not necessarily in support of Beijing or the Chinese, but it's just to kind of say it's not necessarily a stupid policy. Yeah, I think that also, as you mentioned, I think they, their position there isn't isn't necessarily as complex as the U.S.'s, because as you said, the U.S. has a lot of vested interest in projecting this idea that they're supporting democracy. On the other hand, their military aid, you know, kind of to quite unsavory Egyptian military governments now and in the past is is well known, um, and they're incredibly, in a very complicated way, very very involved in in the situation, you know, kind of on Egypt's borders as well. So it just, it, it makes it really hard for them, I think, uh, you know, to, to take any real position. Um, yeah, you know, kind of so, and, and China, you know, uh, you know, is probably <laughs> probably grateful right at this moment that they don't particularly have that, those kinds of entanglements right now, you know, kind of, and we'll have to see whether they develop them in the future. Well, it's no doubt they're going to develop them in the future with what the way things are going right now. But it is interesting to talk about the comparison between Kenyana and Morsi, uh, and also to see that uh, both were uh, kind of shunned by the U.S. Uh, or at least given a, a cold shoulder. And, and how, and, you know, what's exciting for me is actually that African governments at least now have a choice. Uh, you know, 25, 30 years ago and beyond that, they, they didn't have a choice. They had to go to London or Washington or Paris. Uh, you know, that was obligatory. And now they don't. Uh, so I think this is all part of a, a trend that, in my view, is healthy for the continent, healthy for leaders, even though the Chinese have a different moral structure that doesn't necessarily condemn human rights violations or political graft and corruption or violence the way that the West does which in some ways is a shortcoming, but nonetheless, uh, choice is always a good thing. So what do you think? Uh, do you agree or disagree with what Kobus and I have said today? Uh, we would love to hear from you because we've got a great discussion on all of these topics going on right now 
over on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Kobus, we've had uh, you know a number of, of pretty heated conversations actually this week uh, on, on the Egyptian issue. We haven't really gotten started up yet on Kenya. Uh, but uh, you're moderating every day over on the page. And if all people want to talk to you, what's the best way they can reach you? Yeah, they can find me directly on the page. Um, you'll see my name in brackets, you know, when I respond. And also I'm on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter as well. I'm at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. Uh, and so uh, you can. I'm tweeting the top China-Africa headlines almost every day. Uh, but, of course, you can also follow us on our mobile apps. Uh, just go to our website at ChinaAfricaProject.com where we've got a couple new reports. We just published an article by the Africa Research Institute on our blog. Uh, also, Tendai Musakwa, he's uh, our blogger out of Shanghai. He's doing some translations of Chinese media. He's back in business for us again, so he's posted some articles up on the site as well. And there, right, there's a big banner that you can link and click to the mobile app stores, either Android or the Apple iOS store, and you can you know, download the app, listen to our show, follow our Facebook feed, follow our Twitter feeds, and stay on top of the blog, all from your mobile device. And Cobus, we actually got some good news today. We're going to be uh, in the Kindle app store, and so, so people can download on, uh, on your Kindle Fire, you'll be able to download the China Africa Project as well. So, uh, so we're, we're, you know, we're expanding our empire of distribution, uh, but if you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, best way to do that is on iTunes, but you can listen to us on SoundCloud or on Stitcher, so, uh, and also in South Africa on the BlackBerry Network as well. So that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. We'll be back again. Uh, in a few days with another edition of the show. I'd uh, love to hear from you in the meantime on Facebook, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>